Hey there, and thanks for listening to our podcast. Our mission at Hope is to invite everyone to find Jesus and help them move toward the center of God's purpose for their life. Here's this weekend's message. Well, what's going on, everybody? My name's Eric Sebastian. Hey, hey, good to see you. Uh, my name's Eric Sebastian. I am our campus pastor over at our McKinney campus and also our lead groups pastor here at Hope Fellowship and, uh, and excited to get to be here today. I wanna welcome everybody that is watching online, uh, everybody over at our Prosper campus, everybody at our Frisco West campus, uh, my home crew, the McKinney campus, love you guys, miss you today, and uh, everybody here at Frisco East, how are we doing today? Awesome, awesome, awesome. Hopefully, uh, hopefully everybody's doing a little better than your March Madness brackets at this point. Because those things, if it looks like mine, it is busted to shreds. Uh, but I, I listen, I at McKinney Campus knows this about me. I'm a diehard Alabama fan. And no, no apologies there. I got a roll tide. Uh, new favorite person at Hope right there. And uh, uh, we need to meet in the lobby after service. Uh, no. But two things happened last night if you're an Alabama fan. Uh, Alabama won, which is great, but then Auburn lost. And that's even greater. Um, and if you are like me, if you understand sports hate, then you, you're empathizing with me right now. That's, that, that hate is acceptable, I'm pretty sure. Uh, but the only thing worse than Auburn basketball is Auburn football, but you guys did not come here to talk about March Madness. Uh, you came to talk about March Gladness. Come on, somebody, can I get a name in? I don't know what we're doing here. Uh, that's, that's in the church world, that's uh, called a Jesus juke. And I just executed it effectively, and so now we can move on uh, to actually why we're here today. We're here today to look at John, a cast of characters, the series that we're in. And contrary to popular belief, this is not a documentary on Pastor John and our student ministry team here at Hope. No, this is not that. This is actually a deep dive into the life of Jesus through the lens of one of Jesus' disciples, John. And so uh, if you're new to Hope, we're glad that you're here and whatever it is that got you here, we're glad that it did. And we're gonna do a quick like review of where we've been. If you've been at Hope for most of this series, and it'll just be a reminder for you. But here's where we've been the last couple of weeks. Week one, we started with Jesus, and we talked about his deity and his humanity. Week two, we talked about the disciples, John being one of them. Week three, we talked about the sick, which if you remember, Mike Foster was here that week. He was here for our uh, Foundry Men's Conference, and he spoke that weekend, did an incredible job. Week four was Nicodemus. Week five was uh, women. Pastor John talked about some different exchanges that Jesus had with different women in the Gospel of John. And then last week, shout out to Pastor Zach over at our Frisco West campus. Can we just give him a round of applause? He did an awesome job last week talking about the religious leaders. And then today, friends of Jesus. And uh, we're gonna look at a story inside of the Gospel of John that is one of those like, I'll believe it when I see it kind of stories. You know what I'm saying? Like, have you ever said, I'll believe it when I see it? You guys, have you heard stories like this before? Like, maybe, like, your kid goes into the room, into their bedroom for, like, two minutes, and they come out, and they're like, my room is completely clean. And you're like, I'll believe it when I see it, right? Or maybe uh, a buddy of yours went fishing one afternoon all by himself, and miraculously, he caught, like, a 15-pound bass that nobody has proof of, and he calls you, he tells you about it, and you're like, I'll believe it. When I, say, I need a picture of you holding the fish on a scale with a timestamp on the photo to believe it, because I don't believe it, right? Or probably uh, the best example, but also like the saddest example of this is, is for Cowboys fans. <laughs> like when you hear a Cowboys fan say, this year is our year, you respond with, I believe it when I see it, right? 
I mean, they're making moves, they're doing stuff. I'll, I'll believe it when I see it, right? And, and, so, and so my goal is, is simple today. My, my hope today is just to show you this story inside of the Gospel of John in hopes that if you see this story today, that you may actually believe it. And this story is, is it's so wild, it's so unbelievable, but if we see it today, then you might just believe it. But before we get into the story, we have to find out why this story is even included in the Gospel of John to begin with. And John gives us his purpose statement for why he wrote the book of John. And he puts it in the very last chapter, the last two verses in the Gospel of John. John 20, verses 30 and 31. The disciples saw Jesus do many other miraculous signs in addition to the ones recorded in this book. But these were written so that you may continue to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing in him, you will have life by the power of his name. And John is saying, look, we saw Jesus do a ton of incredibly amazing things. I mean, too much to include in this letter, right? But what is included is included with a purpose. And the purpose of that is not just to highlight Jesus's miracles, but it's to highlight the one who's performing the miracles. It's not just to record everything that I saw, but it's, it's to record everything that I saw to get you to believe that I saw them. Because if I can get you to believe that I saw them, then you might put your faith, you might put your trust, you might put your very life into the hands of the one who is performing everything that I'm showing you, Jesus and, and John's goal really, if, I mean, if we're narrowing it down, the whole goal of the gospel of John and the whole goal of the message today is, is to get us to, that seeing what John saw. We might start believing that he saw it and then we might start trusting in the one who's performing it. That seeing would lead us to believing, which would lead us to trusting. And, and so we're gonna... We're gonna see Jesus do something today that is so extraordinary that, that it seems unbelievable, really, when we read this story, except for the fact that John saw it. And, and not only John saw it, John wrote it down. So because John saw it and he recorded it, we can actually believe it. And, and if we can believe it, then maybe we can trust in the one who he's actually pointing us to in this entire gospel. And the story starts in John chapter 11. Are you intrigued yet? All right, John chapter 11. A man named Lazarus was sick. He lived in Bethany with his two sisters, Mary and Martha. This is the Mary who later poured the expensive perfume on the Lord's feet and wiped them with her hair. Her brother, Lazarus, was sick, so the two sisters sent a message to Jesus telling him, Lord, your dear friend is very sick. And this is pretty standard operating procedure for most Christ followers, right? I mean, we have a family member that's sick, and so we call upon Jesus and we ask him for healing. I mean, this is pretty standard by, by all terms, right? But John is wanting the reader to clue in right at the very beginning of this that Jesus loves this family. God, the other versions of this story say when they say, when they petition to Jesus, it actually says, Lord, the one you love is sick. And John, right out of the gate, is wanting us to know Jesus loves his family. And there's a relationship here between Jesus and Mary and Martha and Lazarus. Like, there's context. Again, these are friends of Jesus. In fact, we see in Luke chapter 10, at a previous point in time, Mary and Martha and Lazarus, they have invited Jesus into their home. And they've prepared a meal for him and his disciples. And they've asked and allowed him to teach and to do and perform his ministry in and out of their home. 
And they have subscribed their life to the teachings and to the way of Jesus. And John is wanting us to know there is a relationship here between Mary, Martha, and Lazarus and Jesus. And so he keeps going in the story. So Lazarus is sick. But when Jesus heard about it, he said, Lazarus' sickness will not end in death. No, it happened for the glory of God so that the Son of God will receive glory from this. And it's interesting here because we're kind of introduced to a new category, sickness for the glory of God. This kind of messes with our theology a little bit and it starts to kind of be a little awkward for us because Jesus is verifying here that bad things, in fact, can happen to good people, I mean, to friends of Jesus type of people. And, and this is kind of difficult for us to manage sometimes because we believe, we're like, we have questions and we struggle with, well, if God is good, then why does he allow bad things to happen? And then he tells us, notice, it, it, it didn't say that Jesus caused the sickness, but that he allowed the sickness. Why? He tells us, so that he, Jesus, may be glorified through it. And so what we're seeing John set up for us in this story is we're seeing that he's meaning that this sickness was actually left unattended on purpose and that Jesus was going to use it for a purpose. What purpose in mind? Let's find out. It keeps going. Verse five. He says, so although Jesus loved Martha, Mary, and Lazarus, he stayed where he was for the next two days. Finally, he said to his disciples, let's go back to Judea. (laughs) This is... Uh, John states again here that Jesus dearly loves this family. And we see in this passage that because he loved them so much, he stayed where he was for two more days. All right, wait a second, that doesn't line up, right? That doesn't add up. He, he, Jesus loved them and Jesus knew that they were suffering. Jesus knew that he had the power within him to do something about it. Jesus knew that Mary and Martha were calling on Jesus and asking him to respond. And so how does he respond? He stays right where he is. He waits. He didn't respond the way they wanted and the way they asked him to respond. And it says because he loved them. And there's an important truth that we cannot miss here as John is unfolding this story in front of us that in our time of trouble and in our times of struggle, we want God to respond immediately. And when God doesn't respond immediately, the temptation for you and I is to start to believe that God does not care about us or he does not care what we're going through. But the reality is, is that we don't always understand God's plans. We don't always understand God's timing. We don't always understand his purposes. So here's what we can learn. And forgive me because this rhymes. I didn't mean for this to rhyme, but we can learn that even when we don't understand God always has a plan. Even when we don't understand this. So, so we can trust his timing knowing that God knows so many more things that you and I do not know. And he responds, we learn out of his great love for us and also out of him receiving the glory. And so we know that his love for us, his love is, is whatever it takes for us to see his glory. Whatever it takes, and this is the part that's hard for us because sometimes we don't wanna go through whatever it takes because it's not making very much sense. And right here where we're at in the, in the story of John, we're feeling the tension of it's not making much sense because Jesus loved them, he waited. But the story keeps going. Pick it up in verse 11. Then Jesus said, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but now I will go and I will wake him up. And the disciples said, Lord, if he's sleeping, he will soon get better. They thought Jesus meant Lazarus was simply sleeping. They're like, if he's asleep, Jesus, he'll, he'll just wake up. And he's like, no, no, no. But Jesus meant Lazarus had died. 
So he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sakes, I'm glad I wasn't there. For now you will really believe. Come, let's go and see him. And so we're finding out in the story now, Lazarus is no longer sick. Now Lazarus is dead. Lazarus has died and no one came and told Jesus. Did you notice this? No one came and told Jesus. Jesus just already knew that Lazarus has died. It's almost like he was setting this up for something. And Jesus says Lazarus' sickness, though, he just said it. We just read it a couple verses ago. Lazarus' sickness will not end in death, and yet here we are finding Lazarus dead. And this is very confusing for us. And this is hard for us to rationalize as Christ followers and just as as people in general sometimes because the the voice of the Lord can be very, very confusing. It's like, uh, I don't know if you guys have heard this story or not before, the, the two buddies that... Uh, one friend had never seen Star Wars before. Have you guys heard this? And so the friend, being a good friend, he was like, you gotta watch these Star Wars movies. And so he showed him the original, you know, episode four, A New Hope. And, and after the movie was over, he asked his friend, who was your favorite Star Wars character? And the buddy who had just seen the movie for the first time, he goes, oh, that's easy. The tall, hairy guy, Chupacabra. He goes, confused, the Star Wars friend was like, no, it's not Chupacabra. His name is Chewbacca. And the friend goes, oh, my bad, I, I got confused. It was a Wookiee mistake. <laughs> some of you guys are laughing, and some of you guys, now you're confused why Eric just told that joke. And uh, I'm sorry for that. I really am. But, but <laughs> let's get back on point here. Uh, the voice of the Lord can be confusing. It can be, it can be difficult to hear. It, it, it can, it, and we struggle with this in our faith. And especially if, listen, especially when you're in a season where you're distracted or, or when you're caught up in the busyness of life or when you're going through grief, when you're going through hurt, when you're going through pain, when you feel like you're suffering, to, to be able to know and hear and understand the voice of God. When you also are going, God, are you even saying anything in this season? Like, I feel like, you know, hello, McFly. Like, I don't even know if you're here. If you're even listening, you're not responding. And why doesn't your voice make sense in this season? And these are questions that you and I, we wrestle with and questions that we struggle with all the time. And then Jesus goes and he says something that we can't even believe it when we read it. He, 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 John, is, John is going out of his way to reiterate over and over again how much Jesus loves this family because John is completely aware that when, when you read through this story through our lens, it feels, it hits differently because he says, I'm glad I wasn't there. And if your lens is anything like my lens, you immediately interpret that and you go, you're glad you weren't there. Well, what do you mean you're glad you weren't? To keep your friend from whom you love, from the agony of death? I'm glad I wasn't there. What you, wait, wait, you're glad that you weren't there to keep Mary and Martha from the pain and the suffering of losing a loved one? What, what do you mean you're, you're glad? We've all experienced this feeling. We've all experienced this emotion. Some of you are experiencing this right now in the season that you're in right now. It's a feeling, it's a sense of, God, if you love me, why did you let this happen? And Tony Evans says this, I love Tony Evans, and so he says, uh, Jesus was not glad concerning Lazarus' death, but glad concerning what he was about to do. Sometimes God will allow things to get worse before they get better, and that's often because he has something in mind that's even better than what we requested. He says, 
I'm glad I wasn't there. Why? Jesus tells us again. He, all the answers to the test are in the, are in the chapter. For your sake, so that you might believe, but not just for the sake of the disciples. Again, John's writing this for our sake. For our sake, for your sake, and for my sake, so that we might see what Jesus is doing, and we might be moved to believe, and we might be led to trusting him no matter what, for the sake of everyone who would read what John is seeing. And see, when we look at this story, and when we read this story, we only know everything up to this point. And in your life, you only know everything that's happened up to this point. We look at the story only knowing what is up in front of us and what's behind us. But Jesus looks at the story knowing all past, all present, and all future, everything that is to come, knowing full well exactly how this story with Lazarus is going to end and knowing exactly how your and I's story and how yours and I's seasons are going to end. And Jesus knows full well every intimate detail of this story. And he's seeing it through the lens of his great love for us, that Jesus loves us. He's not glad, you, need to, you have to hear this today. He's not glad about our suffering. He's not glad about our suffering. He knows what he can and will do in our suffering. And so can I just say, I mean, can we just like time out real quick and say, if you are in a season right now where you are struggling, and you're, you're hurting, you're grieving, you're, you're, you're struggling, you're suffering today, you have to know that Jesus is not glad about your suffering, but as we are about to see in this story, he can minister to us and he can minister through us in our pain. The story keeps going. Verse 17, it says, when Jesus arrived at Bethany, he was told that Lazarus had already been in his grave for four days. Bethany was only a few miles down the road from Jerusalem and many of the people had come to console Mary and Martha in their loss. And when Martha got word that Jesus was coming, she went to meet him. But Mary stayed in the house and Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. Translation, Jesus, this is all your fault. Like I had a plan, I, I knew what to do. I, I called on you, but you didn't answer you would have just listened to me, God, if you would have listened to me, then none of this would have ever happened. And have you ever prayed prayer like that? I mean, don't you have to raise your hand. Have you ever prayed prayers like this? That I told you so prayers to God? Yeah, well, we are fully convinced, fully believe that we know better than God about what to do next or what should have happened, right? And it's in those moments, and we see Martha here in this exchange. She's so honest with Jesus. If you've ever been afraid to express things like this to Jesus, you should know that friends of Jesus like friends of Jesus, they express exactly how they feel in moments like this. So there's permission to say, God, I'm having a hard time here. Because we can see by all accounts, Mary and Martha, they're doing everything right, right? I mean, they've presented their request to God. They're, they're, they've called upon Jesus and asked him to intervene. And yet we still see Lazarus is dead. And it kind of seems as if Jesus has failed them. This is how they're interpreting. Like, you let us down. Jesus, you, you failed us. And we're witnessing in real time in John chapter 11 bad things happening to good friends of Jesus type of people. But Martha doesn't stop there in her conversation with Jesus. She says these things in her grief, wishing that it would have gone differently, but then she follows it with this. And this is so powerful. She says, but even now, Lord, I know that God will give you whatever you ask. 
She's not saying that she expects Jesus to bring her brother back to life. I mean, I don't even think that was on the bingo card of, of possibilities for her of like, this is even imaginable. Well, what she's doing here is she's reassuring her faith despite her current disappointment. And Jesus's delay on her timeline is not diminishing her confidence in Jesus. And, and we can kind of pull from this, this idea from Martha. She, she's saying, God, if, if you had moved, if you would have just done what I asked, if you would have just answered my prayer, then none of this would be happening. But even still, I trust you. But even still, I know you have a plan. Even still, even so, Lord, I know that you'll provide and you'll get the glory. This is what she says to Jesus. Let's see what Jesus would in turn say to her. And Jesus tells her, your brother will rise again. Yes, Martha said, he will rise when everyone else rises at the last day, meaning the resurrection. And Jesus told her, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. Everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never ever die. Do you believe this, Martha? He asks her. Yes, Lord, she says. I have always believed. You are the Messiah, the Son of God, the one who has come into the world from God. Martha gives the right answer when Jesus says he's gonna raise her brother. She's like, yes, Hey, she studied up on the resurrection, right? I mean, she's accepted Jesus' teaching about resurrection and, and that we will all, as Christ followers, we will all be resurrected with him at the last day. And Jesus says, no, I need you to know, Martha, like the resurrection is not just an event that's gonna happen one day. I am the resurrection. I am the life personified. Like God right here in a body. And I'm ready to show up and I'm about to do something that's gonna blow your mind. And as believers, we have confidence. We don't have to wait until one day to see all of the life that God has promised us, that we can experience his abundant life right now. And, and as we read this, we can't even fully comprehend. We can't even fully understand everything that's going on and all of the different layers that Jesus is moving and ministering right here. I mean, it's like, like Jesus just said, I mean, it's confusing. He just said, you know, Lazarus' death, his life won't end in death. But Lazarus is dead, and now he just says, he just says this other thing where he's like, uh, everyone's gonna die, but you're not really gonna die, because even if you die, you really live. Get it? And we're like, huh? What? And Martha, there's no way in this conversation she fully is understanding and fully comprehending everything that Jesus was saying. I mean, there, there's no way. But in, in the middle of that, she makes a decision. She makes a decision to express her faith in Jesus once again. She said, I mean, Jesus, I don't, I don't understand. I don't understand why this is going on. I don't understand how, how, like, how you're moving here. But here's what I do know. Here, here, here's, here's what I do know. I know that you're the Messiah. I, I, know, I know that you are the Son of God. And here's what we can take away. We can take away from, from Martha here that even when we don't know why God does what he does, we can trust that he is who he says he is. God, I don't understand. I don't understand why this is happening. I don't understand why you were late. I don't understand why you didn't respond the way I wanted you to respond, but, but here's what I do know. Here's, here's, what I can, here's what I can rest my head on. You're the Messiah. You are the Son of God. For us, you are the rescuer, even though my child has not yet been 
rescue. God, you are the healer, even though my marriage has not yet been healed. God, you are the comforter, even though the pain that I'm experiencing has not yet subsided. That even when we don't know why he does what he does, we can trust and we can believe that he is who he says he is. And it's in this moment with Martha that Martha decides that her life is no longer defined by what she goes through, but by who she belongs to. It's no longer about what I'm going through, but it's about who I belong to. This doesn't make sense, Jesus. I don't understand, but here's what I do know. You are the son of God. You are the light of the world that has come into the world to rescue us from darkness. And so what does she do? As soon as she has this exchange, what does she do? She then runs to her sister and she's like, oh my goodness. She calls Mary aside from the mourners and tells her, the teacher is here and he wants to see you. Like he's got something for you. So Mary immediately went to him. Jesus had stayed outside the village at the place where Martha met him. When the people who were at the house consoling Mary saw her leave so hastily, they assumed she was going to Lazarus' grave to weep. So they followed her there. But when Mary arrived and saw Jesus, she fell at his feet. Kind of a theme of Mary we see with her life. She's, we constantly find her there. It's a good place to be. She said, Lord, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. She says the same thing that her sister said. Her response is the exact same response as her sister, which is also the exact same response oftentimes as our response, right? God, if you had done this, then that would not have happened. We see how Mary responds to Jesus. How would Jesus respond to Mary? It says, when Jesus saw her weeping and saw the other people wailing with her, a deep anger welled up within him. Hold on to that. We're gonna come back to that. And he was deeply troubled. Where have you put him, he asked them. And they told him, Lord, come and see. And then probably the most powerful scripture in all the gospels. Then Jesus wept. The people who were standing nearby said, see how much Jesus loved Lazarus. There it is again. We see Jesus' love for us again. With Martha, Jesus comforts her with his truth. He says, I am the resurrection. I am the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after death. With Mary, Jesus comforts her with his tears. Again, fully God, fully man. And think about this. Jesus knows exactly how this story is going to end. And many of you who know the story, you've read the story, you know exactly how this story is gonna end. And so does Jesus. But Mary doesn't. Jesus doesn't just push the story forward. He doesn't just move the narrative along. He doesn't say, Mary, stand up. Hey, stop crying. Listen, in like 10 minutes, I'm gonna fix this whole thing. It's gonna be over. You're gonna see the miracle of all miracles. Mary, there's no need to cry. There's no need to mourn. No, he doesn't do that. What does he do? He meets her in her pain. He empathizes with her. He pauses in this moment in time and enters into the emotion of the moment with Mary. I mean, he knows what it's like to experience suffering. So where does he meet her? In her suffering. Isn't this incredible about our Savior Jesus? That when you and I, when we mourn, and that when we hurt, and that when we weep, Son of God, the Savior of the world, weeps with us. That he is moved to compassion for us. And I know like many of you, I have experienced this firsthand in my own life. That in the middle of unimaginable grief and pain, have experienced the God of all peace 
that scripture says is a very present help in times of trouble. The author of Hebrews says that this high priest of ours, Jesus, understands our weaknesses, for he faced all the same testings we do, yet he did not sin. Joseph Scriven wrote a song, and in his song he said, what a friend we have in Jesus, all our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. And then, verse 37. But some said, this man healed a blind man. Couldn't he have kept Lazarus from dying? And isn't it interesting, I find it very interesting, right in the middle of everything going on here with Mary and Martha and Lazarus, somehow you and I make ourselves back into the story. Because you and I, we, we've heard this voice. You and I, we know this voice because you and I, we are this voice. I mean, this is, this is our voice. We, we say this all the time. I mean, Jesus, I mean, if you, you could have, then why didn't you? And I believe this verse is here to remind us to move the focus off. It's a, it's a reminder, hey, the focus is not on us. Jesus at the center. Remember, he's the one who gets the glory. He's the one who responds out of his great love for us. And even when we don't understand why he does what he does or why he allows what he allows, we can trust, we can have confidence in knowing that he is who he says he is. And we see all of our life experiences wrapped up inside of this one story in John chapter 11. I mean, think, think about this. Think about everything that you've experienced in your life up to this point. And think about everything that we see in this story with Mary and Martha and Lazarus. I mean, think about their pain. Think about their resentment. Think about their disappointment, their fear, their doubt, their anger, their hurt, their unanswered prayers, their faith in Jesus despite their prayers being answered, their tears that they've shed, and eventually the resolution of how this story ends. And I think about your story, everything that you know about your life up to this point. Think about the pain, think about the resentment, think about the tears, think about the unanswered prayers, think about your faith despite your prayers being answered. Think about everything that you've experienced in your life up to this point. All of our emotions, all of our questions, all of our beliefs put inside a single chapter inside of the Gospel of John. Why? So that those who are present would experience firsthand the glory of God on display. But not just for those present, for us too that by seeing what John saw, we would believe and put our trust in who John is pointing us to. And so we have to see how this story ends. We pick it up in verse 38. It says, Jesus was still angry, again, hold on to that, as he arrived at the tomb. A cave with the stone rolled across its interest. Roll the stone aside, Jesus told them. But Martha, the dead man's sister, protested, Lord, he has been dead for four days. The smell will be terrible. Jesus responded, didn't I tell you that you would see God's glory if you believe? So they rolled the stone aside and then Jesus looked up to heaven and he prayed, Father, thank you for hearing me. You always hear me, but I said it out loud for the sake of all these people standing here so that they will believe you sent me. Then Jesus shouted, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out, his hands and feet bound in grave clothes, his face wrapped in a headcloth. And Jesus told them, unwrap him and let him go. Three words, three words, and Lazarus is brought from death to life. And John is writing this. He's saying, you had to see it to believe it. But guess what? I saw it. 
and I wrote it down. And because I saw it, and because I wrote it down, you can take it to the bank. You can believe it, it happened. I'm reminded there's an old story about an old preacher who said it's a good thing Jesus called for Lazarus when he called him out, because if not, he would have emptied the entire cemetery. Like this is the power that Jesus has over death and over the grave. It's easy for us to focus on, on the miracle here that Jesus performed because of its obvious amazement, right? I mean, you have to see it to believe it. A man was brought from death to life all because Jesus said so. I mean, it's such an incredibly powerful story and it seems unbelievable, but we have to remember everything that John put in his letter, he put it in per- well, it, it, with a purpose in mind. There's a point to this story and it's not just to simply highlight the miracle, but it's to point us to the one who has miracle working power. That in seeing what John saw, that we would believe and we would put our trust in Jesus. Again, that us seeing would lead to believing, would lead to trusting. So we have to ask, I mean, two questions as we kind of wrap this up. Why did Jesus decide to resurrect Lazarus publicly? And if he knew he was gonna resurrect Lazarus, why didn't he do it privately if he does it in public? And then also, why did Jesus wait where he was for days? And if he knew he was gonna resurrect Lazarus, why didn't he just raise Lazarus from the dead to start with? Why didn't he not allow him to die? Why didn't he go get him while he was sick? Like These are questions that we have. And Jesus, he tells us the answer. We already read it. Again, the answers to the test are, in the book, and Jesus looked up to heaven and said, Father, thank you for hearing me. You always hear me, but I said it out loud for the sake of these people standing here so that they will believe that you sent me. Jesus is saying, Father, you and I know what's going on here because you and I are one. But it's so important that everyone here know and everyone that will read this letter later understand and believe that I am who I say I am, the Messiah, the Son of God. And then we get probably the most obvious verse in all of the Gospel of John. Because after seeing this, many of the people who were with Mary believed in Jesus when they saw this happen. Yeah, I bet they did. They're like, we just saw a dead man walk out of a tomb. I'll have what he's having, you know? Like, what is that? Like, this is unbelievable. And and we don't have time to get into this, but did you notice too, it's the people that were with Mary are the ones that believed. The ones who were mourning and weeping with Mary and that also Mary's tragedy, Mary's grief led them to Jesus. We don't have time to get into that and maybe that means something for somebody listening, but that's pretty fascinating. We're seeing John's purpose of his gospel play out in real time in John chapter 11. It's almost like he put this story in here for a reason. That many who saw what Jesus did believed in who Jesus was. And because they believed who Jesus was, they could put their faith, their trust, their confidence in him no matter what. And here's the reality for you and I today. This is the reality. This is where the rubber meets the road. I've not seen all that you've seen. Some of you have seen some pretty terrible things. And some of your experiences in life up to this point have been some things where it's like you would say, you'd have to see it to believe it. I wouldn't believe some of the things I've seen except for the fact that I've lived them. I've experienced them. And we, we can't even pretend to know all that we have seen and all that we have experienced in this life. But Jesus knows. 
He's seen everything that you've gone through. All the emotions, all the questions, all the pain. And how does he respond? We see it in the story. He weeps with us. He experiences that with us. And then he gently reminds us of the truth about who he is, a God that loves us. And then he shows up. He shows us his power. He shows us his glory. Why? Why would he do this? So that we could see who he really is. A God who loves you. That would lead us to believe who he really is. A God who cares for you. And that would lead us to trusting no matter what and who we now confidently know him to be, the Messiah, the Son of God. Again, we see John chapter 20, his purpose, that the disciples saw many other miraculous signs in addition to these. That these are written so that you, me, so that we may continue to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing in him, you will have life by the power of his name, no matter what, whatever season, whatever situation, whatever circumstance you're in, no matter what. And can I tell you how this story really ends? It keeps going. Actually, John chapter 11, there's a couple of verses after that, and it says in verse 45 that many believed, and then it goes on to say, others did not believe. And they ran as fast as they could to the religious leaders. And they tattled on Jesus. And they said, let me tell you what Jesus did. He resurrected a dead man. And the scriptures say that it was this miracle in particular. It was the final straw. This was the straw that broke the camel's back for the religious leaders. And they finally said, once and for all, we have to put an end to this man, Jesus. And it's after Lazarus's miracle that they decide to put a plan together to kill Jesus. Many scholars believe that the anger that John referred to earlier, remember when Jesus met Mary and the weepers, and then again when he's at Lazarus' tomb, that this, this anger that Jesus, that John writes about, that Jesus was angry at death. Because death is not a part of God's plan. Death is the enemy of God. And he's face to face, Jesus is face to face with death for the final time before it was his time. This is his last toe-to-toe with death before he's toe-to-toe with death. And Jesus knew that Lazarus' resurrection would lead to his own death. And yet he did it anyway. Because he knew that through his death, we would see another resurrection. But that with this resurrection, he would gain victory over death once and for all. And this truly is how yours and my story really ends. All of our pain all of our questions, all of our doubts, all of our sin, all of our grief, everything that we've experienced up to this point and everything that we will experience nailed to the cross once and for all in hopes that by seeing what Jesus did for us, that we would be led to believe that he is who he says he is. And that would lead us to place our trust, to place our hope, to place our very lives confidently in Jesus, no matter what. That for you and I today, that seeing would lead us to believing, would lead us to trusting. 
that no matter what season, no matter what situation, no matter what circumstance that you are in right now, that you would be able to say, no matter what, you are the Messiah, the Son of God. Let's pray. God, we love you so much. We thank you for another opportunity you've given us today to serve you. God, I pray that you would move us today to to actually believing this story, God, that you are exactly who you say you are, the Messiah, the Son of God, our healer, our rescuer, our comforter, our deliverer, our salvation today. For those of us who do not yet believe, God, would you move us to that today? Would your spirit encourage us towards that? God, for those of us who are believers, would you encourage us today with your word? that in whatever season, in whatever situation, whatever we've seen in our lives up to this point, would we confidently know that we can put our trust in you no matter what because you are a God that loves us. That as we see that, that we would believe it. And that in seasons and in situations of doubt, that we would come to trust it. In your holy name, amen. Thanks for listening to Hope's Weekend Message. Visit hopefellowship.net and further connect with us by downloading the Hope app from the App Store or Google Play. Have a great day.